And then I remember just sitting with Yanni in the car and like tears were just coming to our eyes because, you know, we had accomplished so much to get to this point. Sometimes I'm just sitting here and I'm like, whoa, I miss my friends. I, here's what we would be doing right now. Here's what we would be doing this weekend. You know, would we have won the title? And it's, uh, there's so many ifs that I can't really even think about. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, oh, well placed. Okay, I'm back today for part two of Retirement by Pandemic, the run-along mini-series focused on sharing the stories of athletes who have had their career ended in one way or another by the spread of COVID-19. For this show, I'm going to pivot to the collegiate athletics world, and specifically winter sport athletes. So to set the scene here, the NCAA winter season usually ends sometime in March, when the championships like March Madness take place. This year, the majority of the winter sport athletes actually did see out the end of their seasons before the decisions were made that effectively shut down all of the American sports world. Because not everyone makes it to the conference playoffs, and even fewer qualify for the NCAA tournament slash championships. But for those who hadn't yet seen out their season when the pandemic hit... These are the best in the field, the national title contending type of athletes. They found themselves in this heartbreaking situation where the powers that be ended their seasons just as they were about to really be put to the test, just as they were about to be in those winner go home moments that you work all year to get to and fantasize about as a student athlete. On this episode, the stories of two winter sport senior athletes, a women's fencer at Notre Dame and a men's basketball player at San Diego State. They talk about what it's like to see a season cut short right as your feet land on the doorstep of the most coveted challenge of all, the battle for a national championship. Now, of course, not all national title contending teams are the same. Each one comes into a season managing different expectations, shouldering different pressure than another. So we won the national title my freshman and sophomore year. Julia Berry is a senior on one of the most decorated collegiate fencing programs in the country. Two national championships didn't take the sting away from a less than ideal junior season, though. Um, And then junior year, the wheels kind of fell off and we just couldn't do it. We came in third. Um, I think third, maybe fourth. Oof. They've kind of set a high bar for themselves at Notre Dame. If it wasn't first, we didn't want to know. Um. (laughs) Heading into this year, there were some moving parts that at first had the captain feeling unsure of what they could pull off. We had lost a lot of seniors. A lot of seniors had graduated. um, And four of our starters were taking the year off to try and get to Tokyo. So it was kind of this year of, oh, I don't know what we're going to, what are we going to do? What's our freshman class looking like? We kind of didn't really know what was going to be happening. And through that, I think we were just kind of apprehensive and curious what was going to happen. Um, We were still ranked number one in the coaches poll. The women were um, after the first meet or before the first meet, excuse me. 
But as we kind of went through the season, we realized, oh, we have a lot of work to do. And we also were going through a coaching staff transition where we had a new Sabre coach coming in and, you know, he was waiting for his visa because he was coming from Italy. So it was all this kind of transitional things um, that we were waiting for. But as great teams know how to do, they figured it out and started hitting their stride right when they needed to. Once we kind of got the ball rolling and in more recent months, we've been fencing really well and we've kind of found our stride as the team. So we were all really looking forward to NCAAs because we thought, you know what, we can do this. And everyone counted us out. No one thought we could do it. Um, so we were really, really excited because we thought we could pull it off. As for Nolan Narain, a San Diego State men's basketball senior, he knew early on that this Aztec team was special. You know, I knew we were good early um, when we beat BYU. The San Diego State Aztecs haven't really ever been considered a men's basketball powerhouse. They're certainly not a weak program, not a team you could ever get a win over easily. After all, they've made 12 March Madness appearances, including two runs to the Sweet 16 in 2011 and 2014. But they're not a Duke or a Syracuse or a Kentucky. They're a relatively young Division I school, and they don't play in one of the big conferences we're used to seeing have a team lift the trophy from at the end of the season. This year for the Aztecs, though, seemed different, seemed unprecedented. Um, but what stood out to me was the way that we went into the Staples Center and played Utah um, at the beginning of the season. They had just came off of a, a huge road win against um, Kentucky, and um, they were a pretty good team. And the fact that we went into Staples Center and we're just like, you know what, we're just going to run these guys, that, that kind of, you know, set the tone for me that, like, wow, you know, this team is different. Like, we're not going to let anything get in our way this year. We're just a bunch of guys that, you know, want to compete and win. So that was when it really stood out to me. Even looking at these early signs, though, it's hard to imagine anyone predicting that the Aztecs would go on to do what they did this year, which was be ranked number one in the country, post a 26-game winning streak, and become the last undefeated team in Division I basketball. At the beginning of March, the Aztecs began their postseason run as the number one seed in the Mountain West Conference playoffs. They make it to the final the first shot at a trophy this season for this red-hot, history-making team. But it wasn't to be. They lost. Just their second defeat of the season. We were definitely disappointed that we lost to Utah State, um, just considering the fact that, you know, in the whole Mountain West Conference tournament, we kind of um, we started off the first half of each game pretty slow, and then it was actually against Utah State where we started off the first half fine, but it was the second half where we kind of just wore out. Um, and couldn't hit shots. But uh, you know what? Losing to Utah State was very disappointing. Um, we want we wanted to bring home two Mountain West Conference championships back to uh, SDSU, and um, we felt like we kind of just, like, you know, didn't get the chance to do that. So we were disappointed, but knowing that the season wasn't over at that point and knowing that we were going to have a chance to, you know, fix some things and then go into the NCAA tournament strong, kind of just, you know, reassured us that we're going to be okay. And here, early to mid-ish March, is just about where everything takes a major turn. For this basketball player, for this fencer, as COVID-19 sunk its teeth into the United States and the rest of the world. 
While some were predominantly tracking the growing seriousness of the crisis via media and news reports, Julia had her finger on the pulse of the rising pandemic in a different way. We, um, I think, are in kind of a set of unique circumstances. As one of the best programs in the U.S., the Notre Dame fencing teams attract student-athletes from all over the world. So there's more than 10 countries represented on Notre Dame fencing. Being on a team this international kind of provided some foresight. We also have so many people competing at the highest level. So we had um, numerous people who were planning on going to junior world championships in March, um, people who were going to senior world championships last year, all these World Cups that are always happening. Um, so we're traveling all over the world any given weekend. Um, mm. So the fact that, you know, oh, someone was, you know, in China last month and Italy three weeks ago and somebody's in Luxembourg right now. And, oh, maybe all this kind of world travel's catching up to us. That was definitely a thought I had. And um, we were pretty lucky. Notre Dame was pretty on top of it before we, as soon as it kind of started to kick into gear, before we traveled anywhere, we had to clear it with athletics and kind of get that all squared away. So by the time it was getting pretty dire, no one was traveling places that they really shouldn't. And then obviously now no one's traveling anywhere. Um, but it definitely was kind of, oh, this could, this could affect us pretty soon. Back in San Diego, Nolan and the rest of the guys had regrouped after their slip-up in the conference championship, hungry to get back to their winning ways. And then, that first NCAA decision was made. So it, it was, um, we had that practice, and, you know, guys were extremely motivated because we had just lost. So we were thinking, you know, okay, we're going to have an extremely competitive practice. We have about like a week and a half to get ready for the tournament. So we were we were in practice just, you know, going hard, competing. Guys were getting, uh, you know, just like like uh, scratches all over their face because they were diving after the ball and stuff. And um, after practice, coaches, they told us, like, hey, um, they just decided that they're going to close the doors for spectators for the first and maybe second round. The afternoon of March 11th, the NCAA banned spectators from winter sports championships. No spectators would no doubt give a weird Twilight Zone feeling when it came to March Madness, one of the biggest sporting events in the U.S. As for fencing, though, a sport that doesn't exactly attract fans by the thousands, no spectators meant something else. That afternoon, it became apparent that maybe NCAAs wouldn't allow spectators. And for us, so for how NCAA fencing works is up to 12 fencers can qualify mm. per school. Um, so for a team of 67, obviously not everyone's going to be fencing. It doesn't matter if you've started and you've fenced every single meet that season. If there's two people above you in your weapon, then you're not going to go. And that's always been the case for me. I've always been, you know, lucky enough to be a starter, but I haven't been the one to fence at NCAAs. Um, so I wasn't expecting to be fencing, but we all, no matter where it is, we all pack up our cars and we drive and we go and support our team. Of course. Um, which is something really special about us. We're kind of the only school to do that. So for us, we're like, oh my God, if we don't have spectators, like we can't go, we can't go support the teammates who are fencing. What is this going to mean? The collegiate fencing spectator experience is in a sense more intimate than say men's basketball with all its sold out crowds and media fanfare. Also on March 11th, we see the first conferences start to make postseason decisions about their member schools. Meanwhile, while this is happening, we're finding out that uh, the Ivy League is not going to have a conference tournament. So we're just thinking like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, 
that sucks for the Ivy League. Like, they're not going to get a chance. Like, dang. Then, like dominoes, other conferences follow. Um, and then that Thursday, we get a, a text from our director of operations. Says, check your email. It's important. That's the ACC email. Um, and so we're all heartbroken. And then we're like, oh, my God, wait. Are other schools going to go? So it's not even like we can't – like, we are we going to lose because we couldn't even try? Until finally – the all-powerful governing body of American collegiate sports puts an end to everything. And then next day, it's like, yeah, it's there's no tournament at all. <laughs> Their seasons were over. It was shocking. We knew that, you know, coronavirus was a big deal, and we knew it was important to take a bunch of safety measures, and we weren't, you know, discounting the necessity to be serious. But at the same time, it was like two days before that, if you had told us our season was over, we would have been never believed you. When I found out that it was canceled, I was with um, Yanni, who's my he's my roommate. So we were just going to like we were finding out that, you know, all this stuff's going on. So we were kind of just like in the car and then we found out from the coaches. They sent out a text basically letting us know that, like, you know, everything's canceled via Twitter. So. It was kind of just like a shock. With the shock came the realization that whether it's for you or your teammate or everyone in this experience together in general, times like this, the opportunity to compete at a national championship, those don't come around often. And so when those moments slip out of your fingertips, it's a hard pill to swallow. And I remember just sitting with Yanni in a car and like, Tears were just coming to our eyes because, you know, we had accomplished so much to get to this point. All that hard work we put in to get to the tournament and to have this, you know, crazy record. Uh, you know, we're kind of like short, like dream cut short because we don't get the opportunity now to, you know, prove what we can do and have a chance to compete for a national championship. Yeah. And it's not like you have this opportunity year in, year out. It's like this was our time. You know what I mean? One of my best friends, Morgan Partridge, who fences um, for the U.S. women's foil team, she is an incredible fencer. She won every single bat at regionals. She just kicked butt the whole season. And this was going to be her first year um, going to NCAAs mm-hmm. because we have such a competitive team. And she's a senior like me. And so to see, you know, finally she had that chance and she was so ready and she had been training and everything was coming together to just see that completely taken away, um, you know, for one of my best friends was just heartbreaking. And There was a lot of tears and a lot of, we were just really sad, honestly. In times of hardship and in times of joy, Lord, is it good to be on a team, though, going through it all right alongside one another. I think we just felt like we had to get all of our ducks in a row before we could really process anything. Mm -hmm. So those of us who had cars took, you know, the the kids who were on campus and um, underclassmen who, you know, lived in Europe, they had to get their dorms packed up in a matter of a day or two. So we would take them to the Home Depot to get boxes, you know, mm-hmm. help them get stuff mailed, see what anybody else needed, kind of go through that. And we had our coaches kind of supporting us through that too, checking in on us, um, making sure we had what we needed, food, whatever supplies. Um, so that was kind of initially what we did. We bought a lot of puzzles. <laughs> we talked as a team. We have a little group chat and everything where we, we talked and we had a little night where before things got too bad, we kind of uh, got together and um, you know, had the night together. But uh, after that, um, the coaches, they actually had um, 
some of the sports psychologists on campus mm. um, come in and meet with us as a team just to kind of reflect and um, talk about how we felt and, you know, what kind of stuff was going through our mind. Um, and we basically just talked about, like, how our uh, how how we felt about the season and, you know, the relationships that we had with each other. And it was kind of nice to just, you know, sit back and reflect and, you know, notice some of the other things that other players had to say. And so we did, we did have a little bit of time where we got to connect. Like Chase Brannon in our first episode of this series, the moments of pause that came with these pandemic decisions forcing the haze of competition to clear away for a bit, provided an opportunity to look at a bigger picture. It made us realize and take a step back and realize, okay, you know, this is not just happening to us. This is happening to everybody across America and across the world. So it's really bigger than basketball. There's not much that we can do at this point. And we have to look back and and say to ourselves, you know, we went, we ended up going 30 and two, which is the best record in SDSU history. So for what we've accomplished, you know, we did a lot in the one year we had. And even though we didn't get to go to the tournament, it was like, you know, we 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 accomplished a good amount. Yeah. So I, I feel like we were we were all satisfied with the fact, knowing that we, we finished 30-2 and two and had the best record in SDSU history and can go down as one of the best teams to uh, be on campus. So I feel like we were extremely thankful for that, but, you know, we were more more worried about each other's well-being and the well-being of the country. And a lot of times when your mind is operating in a red zone, kind of like when you're in a crisis such as a pandemic and people are wondering if they'll be able to return to their home countries and everyone's life has done a 180, the emotions of loss, of grief, take a little bit to kick in. For me, I'm somebody who is just like so detail oriented that I couldn't, as you said, I couldn't really process until I knew what I was doing. Um, and so I was the the last one in my apartment. I shared with two of my teammates and best friends. And um, when I had packed everything up, my boyfriend had driven from New York to South Bend to help me pack everything up um, and get that all squared away. So my car was packed, my apartment was empty, and I just burst into tears because I was like, oh my God, like it's really happening. My friends are gone. I'm going home. My senior year is over. My season's over. I'm never really going to fence again, probably. And so it kind of just hit me like a train. And I had been waiting and waiting because I'm actually, I'm very, I'm a very emotional person. Um, So when I was a little more stoic throughout this whole process, everyone was like, oh, Julia, like, it's going to hit you soon. It's going to hit you. And when it finally did, it was brutal. Now, these two are a little over a month out from the decisions that ended their competitive careers. Once everything was said and done, I, I realized that that was my last, you know, collegiate basketball game. It, it was tough to realize that, you know, there was no more basketball for me. But on the other hand, I've been busy, you know, trying to um, get my work visa. Nolan's Canadian, by the way. I also got a puppy. So I've, I've been I've been running around with this puppy and and my girlfriend and I have been been taking care of him and um, that's been super exciting. So that's kind of taken a lot of you know stress off and you know thinking about other stuff. You know, right now I'm with my family. I feel so lucky that all my friends and family are safe and everyone is healthy. And you know, I I have a roof over my head and running water and soap to wash my hands and 
I'm really grateful for all of that. But sometimes I'm just sitting here and I'm like, whoa, I miss my friends. I, here's what we would be doing right now. Here's what we would be doing this weekend. You know, would we have won the title? And it's, uh, there's so many ifs that I can't really even think about. Um, so I think it's still kind of bargaining for me and it still is kind of coming in phases. Like I understand like it's done. Um, and we don't have commencement. We have commencement online. Um, but we have a celebration on Memorial Day 2021. So, you know, we're looking forward to that and getting together with all my friends, hopefully in the future, sooner rather than later. Um, but it's kind of just, it kind of comes in waves of, I knew my fencing career was coming to an end. I wasn't ready for it to end yet. I knew college was coming to an end, but I, again, was not ready yet. And obviously, any college senior is used to getting asked what they're doing next year about 349 times. So I thought, what harm is 350? I, I got an opportunity with a um, commercial real estate guy this, this past summer and an investor who um, invests in real estate and a bunch of other businesses. So I kind of got to stick my, um, my, my foot in the water and test a bunch of different things out with him this summer. And I kind of just realized that you know, I really like the commercial real estate side of things and the, the whole investing in, in projects and flipping stuff. So kind of just gained a, an interest for that. And also watching a lot of HGTV, kind of. <laughs> right now, um, I'm really interested in politics. I've interned on campaigns before. I interned in the House of Representatives last summer. Um, that's just something I'm really passionate about and that I've kind of shifted my focus to. Um, so I want to hop on and volunteer on a Senate campaign here in Colorado this summer. That's my hope. Um, and eventually I want to move to DC and kind of work in, in politics and in legislation, because that's something I'm super passionate about. So they both have a pretty good sense of how to answer that question, but just in case for the others out there, you know, one, I guess, silver lining of all of this is now when people ask me what I'm doing, if I say, I have no idea, it's a lot uh, more acceptable. (laughs) With regards to their sport, post-college basketball shouldn't be too hard to find if no one seeks it out. But as for fencing? So there's like, there's not really a rec league, but there is like within USA Fencing, um, there's things called North American Cups, which are really big tournaments, and they have all these different age groups and divisions, so. Although, as for now, this kind of fencing isn't in Julia's plans. That's just for me has not been something that I've ever really wanted to do. For me, if I'm not doing something at the highest level and dedicating myself almost completely to that, like I feel like it's a waste of my time. Um, I have no desire to go fence recreationally or like fence for fun. For me, the fun comes with competing in that atmosphere. But when some sort of normal returns and sports come back with it, and well, when fans are allowed, Julia will be there. I'm still excited. Some of my friends are going to be continuing fencing, so I can't wait to cheer them on, you know, as they go for Tokyo 2021. Um, That's really exciting for them, and I'm going to be cheering them on, and hopefully I'll come watch some Notre Dame meets. But for me, I think now I'm going to be more spectator than fencer. And for both of them, staying grounded and encouraged in such harsh times and in the wake of such abrupt loss has come through some perspective shift and their support systems a lot of which have been created and fostered through their time as student-athletes. You know, just my girlfriend and my roommates, my friends, you know, just staying in touch with them and um, having them by my side, having a good support system, that's that's really what's getting me through this. Yeah, I missed out on, we had one more week in our season. Like, mm-hmm. we were literally a week away. Um, and I missed out on that last week. 
but that doesn't mean that the other 3.7 whatever years were any less special. My 10-year-old self, I don't think ever would have thought that I would have made it this far and that I would have had these experiences. So just kind of thinking about it like that and just being, you know, so grateful that I have had these and that I have lasting relationships. Like I have a Zoom happy hour tonight with all my fencing friends. So it's like, it's so exciting. And I talked to all my senior girls yesterday on Zoom. And, you know, of course, this isn't what we wanted, but making the best of it in whatever way we can. Shots of endorphins, it's important to remember, come in many different forms. This one's underrated, but South Bend, the sun is rarely out. So let me tell you, when I came to beautiful Boulder, Colorado, and the sun was shining, oh, don't take it for granted if you live somewhere sunny. Go sit in the sun for a minute, um, because it honestly makes such a difference. Not to mention, new doses of free time and an end to our routines as we knew them also comes with opportunity. Keep trying things and, you know, don't be afraid to try things, you know. Put your foot in someone else's shoes and get to experience something different because, you know, you, you might find a love for something else as well. They say college is the best years of your life. I won't try to feed you some BS. They do say that because of the moments that take place in the dorms. They say that because your best friends are five to ten minutes away from you at all times. They say that because there is no inappropriate time of day to take a nap or to eat cereal in the dining hall. Of course, it's because of all those things and more. And yeah, you'll never be able to relive those times in that precise way again. But I think they, whoever they are, who tells you that college is the best years of your life, should also mention this. You will always be able to tap back into what college taught you through group chats and national championship rings and papers written and folders of memories in your brain that have the lessons and experiences logged. Even if you can't recall it all, there will be moments up ahead that question who you are. And you might find yourself able to answer because of what you went through in those four to five years. The ways you were tested and broken. The ways you were tested and stepped up. Those are the sorts of things that don't stay put when you leave campus. Whether that campus is in South Bend or in San Diego, whether you're leaving that campus with the help of your parents on a routine commencement day, or with the help of your teammates, rushed and abrupt in the middle of the semester. The experience was something that was once in a lifetime. It is obviously really hard to put into words. I was super grateful and thankful that I've got the opportunity to attend San Diego State for five years and be a part of the men's basketball team. It really gave me a chance to compete at the absolute highest level. And What made San Diego State stand out to me was, you know, just the family atmosphere that, you know, all the players and the coaches had. My Notre Dame fencing experience was a learning experience. It taught me how to fight. It taught me um, how to persevere in situations where, you know, normally would be pretty difficult. It taught me, you know, grace under pressure. And, um, of course, it gave me my best friends in the whole world, too. So that's always a plus. Thank you to Julia and Nolan for coming on to the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.